Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this TMA Practice Well podcast on COVID-19. Today's topic is infection prevention and control for outpatient clinics. We're going to be following guidelines that have been written by the TMA COVID-19 Task Force, a team of physicians, experts from across the state, TMA members who are doing their very best to help you help your patients. I'm Brent Anier. I'm in the TMA Communications Division, and my guest today is Dr. Charles Lerner, an infectious diseases specialist in San Antonio. He is a member of the TMA COVID-19 Task Force. Dr. Lerner, thanks so much for being here. What other uh, credentials would you like your audience to know about that apply to this discussion? Well, I'm a hospital epidemiologist, uh, basically functioning with infection control as a medical director for several institutions, and I'm a consultant to the Infectious Disease Committee of the Texas Medical Association. All right, great. Well, let's jump right in. So what would you recommend physicians can do to minimize exposure to COVID-19 in their clinics? I'm sure that is first and foremost on doctors' minds. Well, the first thing I would do is not allow walk-in patients for uh, unscheduled appointments. I would require people to call the office before an appointment. And when they have an appointment, I would have my staff call them and screen them for fever and cough prior to their coming in. And if they have any symptoms and it's not uh, something that they're coming in for, I would have them reschedule. I would allow the patient in the office alone without any family members. I would require the family members to wait outside in their vehicles. If I was able to set up telemedicine service, which can be expensive, uh, I would consider doing that. I would post a sign or a poster at the entrance of my office and in the waiting room and bathroom with instructions about hand hygiene, respiratory hygiene, and cough etiquette. I would provide tissues and hand sanitizers in places where people can't abscond with them because that's been a problem. And I would have no touch receptacles for their disposal, in other words, open cans. And I would practice social distancing in the waiting room. I'd move the waiting room chairs six feet apart. I even heard of, uh, those are interesting points, I even heard one physician talking about if the practice is physically built this way to have those patients who must come in, say, for uh, testing or something, to enter through a separate entrance. Absolutely. And those who, who have respiratory symptoms, I would probably schedule them at the end of the day if they, if they could wait if they weren't critically ill. So the whole idea is uh, as much as possible to care for the patients while practicing safe isolation? That's exactly right. Interesting. Okay, so when you talked about um, telemedicine and first speaking with the patients over the phone, is it your suspicion that many of these patients perhaps would not need to be seen in the practice in person at all? That's exactly right. If somebody has minor symptoms, uh, since there is no treatment uh, there, there's nothing to do but have them stay at home and isolate themselves. So that's the benefit of being able to speak with them to help uh, triage virtually whether they need escalated treatment or they can self-care. That's correct. Now, you, if you think the patient may have COVID-19, you may be able to get them tested at one of the uh, 
uh, mobile testing units that are, are popping up in some parts of the state, uh, but unfortunately, most places don't have them. And that would require them coming into your office uh, when and if you have the availability to do testing in the office. That's being ramped up rapidly. So by the time you, you hear this blog, there, there may be actually some real capability of doing that. But right now, it's very limited. Excellent. And with regard to your, your uh, comment about telemedicine, I would also like to point out that the first installment of the TMA Practice Well COVID-19 podcast series was on providing and ramping up telemedicine services in the medical practice. So uh, our listeners, uh, please know that you can go to your favorite podcast channel to find that. And there's great information from Dr. Elosi about that. So, Dr. Lerner, what other types of uh, infection prevention and control measures do you think physicians should implement in their practices? Well, if they have a patient uh, who has respiratory symptoms, and remember that most of the people who complain of respiratory symptoms during this outbreak will not have COVID-19, I would have them bypass the waiting room or have the patient wait in the car until called. Uh, if the patient is not urgent, I'd schedule them at the end of the day, as I said before. I would give them a mask before they enter the office, and if you don't have a mask available, a bandana, or have them cover their face with tissues if no mask is there. Put the patient in a single room and close the door and minimize the number of staff who go in and out of the room. After the patient leaves, if, the, if you think the patient may have COVID-19, then leave the room vacant for an hour before you go in and disinfect and clean the surfaces. That allows the air exchanges to remove any virus that may be in the air. And use any hospital-grade disinfectant. That quaternary ammonium compounds are effective, but remember in some products, the contact time may be up to 10 minutes. You can't just wipe and then be done. Uh, you have to wait at least 10 minutes for, for many products. What infection prevention and control precautions do you think physicians need to take if now they think they have a patient who may be a COVID-19 patient who requires a higher level of evaluation or even to the extent of being sent to an emergency department? Well, if you have somebody who you think cannot be safely treated at home, or if you have a patient you are treating at home who calls you and says, you know, now I've developed significant shortness of breath and I need to go to the hospital. The first thing you need to do is you need to talk to the emergency room at the hospital that they're going to so that they can tell you, number one, where the patient should go exactly so that they don't contaminate other people. And number two, they can be prepared for the patient. The second thing is they should be driving in their own car. They should not be using public transportation like Uber or Lyft or taxi cabs or buses. Uh, if they don't have that kind of capability, then they're going to probably need an ambulance. And if that's the case, you need to discuss that with the ambulance driver ahead of time so that they know they're dealing with a suspected COVID patient and can take appropriate uh, measures. Great advice. All right. Thank you. So what infection prevention and control recommendations should physicians give to patients with suspected COVID-19 if the physician feels the patient is well enough to either go home or stay home? Uh, well, the first thing they need to do is have the patients avoid their household members as much as possible. 
uh, they should use, a, if they have it available, a separate bedroom and a separate bathroom. We need to have the members of the household monitor themselves for infection themselves, and that would include twice-a-day temperatures. If it's possible, have their food brought to them on paper plates with plastic utensils and left outside their door, and then use hand hygiene uh, before you handle anything, and wash your hands repeatedly while you're in isolation. The patient should wear a face mask when around other members of the family. And I realize that some, some people will not be able to have enough room to be able to be in, a, in a, their own room. So under those circumstances, they should be wearing a face mask at all times. And I would prohibit people who don't necessarily have to come to the house to come. There's no reason for, for outside family members to get exposed. We don't know about pets, and so it's preferable to minimize contact with pets because we don't have any data. If you're alone in the house and you have to care for a pet, I would wash my hands before and after handling the pet. And I would disinfect high-touch surfaces with any of the commercially available wipes like Clorox wipes, and just wash your your close in the in the washing machine and uh, dry them and that should be sufficient they should, patients should remain in isolation until a combination of 72 hours after resolution of their symptoms and that includes fever with the proviso that they're not taking something to lower their temperature like Tylenol and at least seven days since the onset of their, of their symptoms. So when that two, two numbers combine, then they can take themselves out of isolation because they're probably no longer contagious. If you are exposed to COVID-19, the, the virus that causes COVID-19, you need to isolate yourself for 14 days because it can take as long as 14 days for you to become ill. But once you become ill and start the recovery process, then you're no longer contagious with this seven days after the onset of symptoms and 72 hours without symptoms. Great. So now back to keeping the, the person who is um, sick uh, apart from the rest of family members in the household as much as possible. So are you talking about, say, a husband is caring for the wife, literally bringing a bowl of soup and leaving it for the, the patient and the patient comes and gets it as opposed to handing it to the patient, that sort of thing? That's exactly what I'm referring to. Uh, keep the door closed, place the food on the floor, you know, go away from the door, let them know that it's time to open the door and bring their food in. And when, when they're ready to discard the, the plates and so forth, uh, you, they reverse the process. You want to minimize contact with people, and you really don't want to infect your loved ones. Okay. Dr. Lerner, what recommendations do you have for how physicians should prepare their staffs in light of this pandemic? Well, one of the first things to do is, is prepare ahead of time for the potential of, of seeing COVID patients in your office. So I would look at my sick leave policies and make sure that they're flexible and that they're not punitive and consistent with, with what the health department tells us is necessary. 
if you if I had an exposed employee, I would contact the health department and have them make recommendations as how to handle it. Education, education, education is key. You have to teach your staff about appropriate infection control and appropriate disinfection measures for high-touch surfaces. And that would include both the pen and the clipboard that most people have to deal with when they register to be seen. I would have a single staff member in charge of all of the COVID-19 training and and so forth. And I would train my staff who are going to be exposed to the patient in the proper use of personal protective gear. That's the masks, the uh, face shields, and the gowns and gloves, and how not only to put them on, but how to take them off properly and how to dispose of them properly. And then one thing I would do is make contingency plans because I may lose a staff member who's required to be in isolation for 14 days, or they're required to take care of a family member who has COVID-19 or some other problem that develops. So you need to have contingency plans for what you're going to do if one or two of your staff members, if you have a small office, you know, if, if two people can't come in, that can be devastating to your ability to actually practice medicine. You touched on on uh, personal protection, so let's talk a little bit about PPE. What is the the uh, clinical directive for physicians when it comes to PPE? If you're going to be exposed to somebody you think has COVID nineteen, you need an N ninety five respirator. They're not available. If you don't have that, you can use a surgical face mask because this disease is transmitted mostly by droplets. So a surgical mask will be quite effective. If you can't get a surgical mask, put on a scarf around your face. That's what I used to do in Chicago when I was in the wintertime when I went out to get the bus to go somewhere. You'd have to have a scarf because it was so cold. Uh, In terms of gowns, you need to make sure that you know how to put them on properly. You need to make sure that the gloves go over the gown and that when you take the gown off, you do it properly. You you untie, you don't untie, but you rip the ties behind the gown and then you peel it off of you, including the gloves all in one big ball and handle just the inside of the gown with your bare hands and then put it in the trash. That's the proper way to take care of personal protective gear. With this, you will need face shield and you'll need goggles or goggles. Were you practicing and uh, coming in contact with a suspected or known COVID-19 patient and you were forced to use something other than an N95 mask, as you have described, would you feel that much more comfortable using that in concert with a face shield and goggles? Yes. Yes. If I, you know, you have to do the best that you can. Uh, If I had an N95 respirator, I might cover it with a surgical mask to protect it so that I could use it again or for a longer period of time so that it doesn't become contaminated with droplets on the outside, which is one of the problems with with masks. Okay. If you don't have protective gear, then you, you have to make do with what you have available. And until we ramp up the production of respirators and, and, um, 
surgical masks so that we have ample supplies, uh, we're just going to have to wing it. Wing it as safely as possible, given the fact that um, physicians and nurses and other members of the healthcare team, if they're not available, if they get sick and they're not available to help people, then no one is helped, right? That's exactly right. One of the, one of the cardinal rules is think of the caregiver first, not the patient. It's, it's counterintuitive. But I've always told my patients it, who, who are, or family members who are taking care of people who are chronically ill, first consider the caregiver because when the caregiver goes down, the patient has nobody to take care of them. If you lose the doctors and nurses, what are the patients going to do? That's, that's why the testing for COVID-19 or the coronavirus was first given to physicians and, and other healthcare workers and the emergency technicians, the EMTs, because they're the caregivers. If those people go down, everybody's in trouble. Interesting. Good advice. So I guess the last question I would have for you would, would be back to the, the medical practice. Uh, what are the guidelines with regard to cleaning procedures, um, disinfection of, of the practice um, when you have dealt with uh, COVID-19 patients or suspected COVID-19 patients in the clinic? Well, in the modern era, since many people with this infection will not be symptomatic, uh, you may have somebody with who's coming in for uh, hypertension or a broken arm or whatever uh, and actually have COVID-19, um, but not have any symptoms. So I would, at the end of the day, I would wipe down all high-touch surfaces uh, with a a disinfectant wipe, and that would include things like doorknobs and the chairs, the arms of chairs, the clipboards, the countertops, uh, the bathroom, uh, all of those areas. I would wipe that down every day during this this problem uh, because you don't know who might be infected. Uh, they might be infected with no symptoms or be contagious before they get symptomatic. Interesting advice. So my last question, uh, I guess, is, is there anything else on this subject matter in general that you would like to add um, to share with your physician audience? I would just add that, that there is the TMA has put out a COVID-19 uh, infection prevention and control for outpatient clinic document. Uh, which is available on the website. That's right. Thank you very much. That is uh, available at www.texmed.org slash coronavirus or texmed.org slash COVID-19. That is the special TMA COVID-19 webpage, which we update on a regular basis with clinical information, guidelines from the CDC, information from the Department of State Health Services of Texas, and other resources to help doctors practice safely during this pandemic. Dr. Charles Lerner of the TMA COVID-19 Task Force, thank you so much for visiting with me today for this podcast on infection prevention and control for outpatient clinics for our physicians. Thank you to our audience as well for listening in on this podcast. And a reminder that we will continue to post more COVID-19 related podcasts as a part of the TMA Practice Well podcast series on COVID-19. We'll see you on the next podcast and please stay safe and well.